0: Well, good morning, New Hope. I'm excited to be here this morning. I hope you've all had a good Canada Day weekend. Uh, It is tradition in Canada and the U.S. It's Independence Day tomorrow for them. Uh, So churches all over the U.S. and Canada this Sunday will be having their youth pastors preach. And so uh, New Hope didn't want to let you down on that tradition, so I am here. Um, Pastor Scott is not. (laughs) Um... But I'm happy to be with you this morning. We do, I do want to give a heads up. If you didn't see it when you came in, I want to let you know we do have some ice cream in the lobby when you leave. We wanted to kind of celebrate the holiday weekend. So we do have some ice cream as you head out. So I will try my best to be fast. Um, but we're continuing our Proverbs wisdom series. We're going through the book of Proverbs all summer and trying to uh, take some of the wisdom from it. And, uh, but not too long ago... Uh, I became a fan of a new sport, which if you know me, you would think that's impossible because I'm pretty obsessed with sports. It's about all I talk about. And somehow I found a way to squeeze in more sports. And I blame Netflix because if you're like me, a while back, you saw this series on Netflix and it's called F1 Drive to Survive. And it's a series that covers Formula One. And up until I started watching this series, I thought Formula One was one of the worst sports it made no sense to me. You drive in a circle for a few hours, and somebody wins. And then they go up on a podium, and the guy that comes third place looks like he is the greatest guy in the world because he came third. And it never made sense to me because, you know, if you're not first, you're last. Why would you celebrate at third? Why would you celebrate at second? I get the, I get the first place guys celebrating. But then it was like every weekend, just a champagne shower. Like, it's a race. You, you, play, you race next week. Why are they so excited? And then I started watching this documentary, and like millions of other people around North America, all of a sudden I was hooked, and I was like, oh, I get it. And you start to understand that these cars, there's so much more to them because they all have to be original designs to the company, and you can't just copy each other for certain elements, and so there's competitive advantage. And then the big competitive advantage, money, which seems to be in all cases of life, right? It, So some companies invest way more money than others, and so there's teams that go into the year, and they're saying, we'd be happy to just get 10th, and there's other teams that are, well, with the amount of money we've spent, we expect to be top three. We expect to be podium, and the the difference in the money, and and just seeing the drivers uh, that get so much more out of the engine than other drivers, and And so as you start to watch this documentary, you get it. And you understand. And all of a sudden, this weekend on Friday, I'm watching the practices. Yesterday, I'm watching the qualifying. And today, I'm here. So I'm going to miss most of the Grand Prix. But you know, as soon as I go home, I'm watching those highlights. Because I'm all the way in. I'm hooked. And then I find myself rooting for McLaren. And so I'm not even rooting for first place because I know that's not going to happen. But I'm like, oh, if we got podium, though. If we got third place, I would just be jumping around, spraying water bottles all over my apartment going nuts but here's the thing about F1 drivers that you really learn as you're watching this series is that to be an F1 driver to actually make it to Formula One to make it to the top you have to love racing because it's all consuming it's not just getting your car on the weekend and drive it's every hour of every day these guys are just consumed with the sport because they're going back and they're having meetings after every single racing session. OK, how did the how did the mud flaps do? How did the flaps over here? How was the wind, You know, did it go over the car the way we expected? Did the engine perform as well? Was the battery performing up to standard? And they go through every detail of the car with the engineers after every race. And then the engineers, they go back to their headquarters and they tweak things. And then they go into these simulators and they practice and they test and they test. And they spend hours every week just trying to get a little bit of a competitive edge, make the car a little bit faster. And what happens is in the sport, they make these rules every year to kind of keep things competitive, they say, although the same teams win every year. But, you know, they try to make things competitive. They try to switch it up and and make make the the engineers keep innovating and doing different things. And so they spend hours and hours every week going in and tweaking and tweaking and racing the simulator. And then on top of that, most Formula One drivers will train two hours a day. They'll get their bodies in shape because to race in an F1, it, it's a physical toll. You would think just sitting in a car, what, what's the big deal? But it's a physical toll on their bodies. It gets very warm in there. It's very hot. And so they, they sweat out a lot of a lot of water, well, a lot of water weight. And so they have to train every day to be in tip-top shape. You need to make sure that you're doing all kinds of these uh, challenges to keep your... Uh, to keep your body in tip-top shape so that you can stay at the top of the game. And so it takes up every part of their life. And if you don't love it, you're just not going to succeed. Because if you don't love it, you're going to wake up one morning at 5 a.m. and go, why am I up right now? I've already made, especially the top drivers, right? They've already made all this money. Why am I still here? Um... Hamilton, if you know him, he's been the champion for years and years, and a lot of people are saying he should retire right now because he's starting to lose. It's finally hit that time where he's not winning every week. He'd won seven years in a row, and he's finally losing to a, a new. There's a new guy on the block, and so people are calling for him to retire. But he just loves racing. He can't stop. He can't stop, and he just he wants to be better. And he still believes he can win. And so this feeling. Just this love of the sport, it takes over them, and they just feel like they can't, they can't stop. And the reality is, for each of us in our hearts, the things that we desire most, the things that we value most, the, the things that we have love towards, they desire or dictate to a great extent how we live our lives, the things that we put our effort into, because we always find time and energy for the things that we enjoy. As a youth pastor, I hear this a lot. I'll be speaking to a student. I'll say, hey, you think you'll make it up to youth next week? The student, oh, I can't. I have a test the next day, so I need to be home studying, which we all know that teenagers, the day before tests, spend all every hour that they're home studying. And so I go, oh, that's a very reasonable excuse. I believe you. And, uh, man, that sucks because we were going to have a bonfire, and I know you love s'mores. And then before I can even finish myself, oh, I'll actually, I could probably get there. I think, no, I think, uh, no, I think I can get there. I'll study after and before, and I'll go to youth and eat the s'mores. And, yeah, I'll, I'll come. I, I can actually, it's crazy crazy thing. I'm actually pretty confident about this one. I'll make it. And so all of a sudden, because there's this thing that they really want, they go, oh, you know what, I can make time for that. And I'm sure all of us have those things, right? You go, oh, I'm so busy, I'm sorry. And then, oh, man, really? Because I was going to make your favorite meal. Well, what, what date was that? Let me double check the calendar. Oh, oh, you said Friday. Sorry, I thought you said Thursday. Yeah, yeah, I'm good Friday. But the things that we love, we make time for. The things that we love, we put effort into. And we find the energy. So today, we're going to continue looking at the book of Proverbs. And what we're going to see today is that wisdom leads to righteousness. Wisdom leads to righteousness. And Solomon, in, in this passage that we're going to look at in chapter 4, he actually gives us a path to righteousness. He gives us kind of a road map. And so, before we get into it, it is only week two of this series. And so, for some who maybe missed last week or some who weren't here, uh, or were here but were downstairs or wherever you might be. I'm just going to first look at what is the book of Proverbs and just quickly go over that. So Proverbs is the wisdom of Christ for all generations. It's across all cultures, all socioeconomic constructs, and the goal of wisdom is through reverence, fear, trust, and commitment to the Lord and his instruction on how we should best live our lives. So it's the wisdom of God, it's instructions on how we should live our lives, that is what the book of Proverbs is. And so today we're going to look at how wisdom can lead us to righteousness. And so if you have your Bibles, or it'll be on the screen, so you can turn with me to Proverbs chapter 4, verses 18, and we're going to go right through to 28. So let's read this. The path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for this morning and this opportunity to gather together. God, we just thank you for your word and uh, we thank you for Proverbs and the wisdom that we can gain from it. And we just pray that your Holy Spirit would be with us this morning. God, and that you would be speaking through me all these things in your name. Amen. So we've said that wisdom leads to righteousness. So what wisdom can we take from this passage? What is step number one on this path to righteousness? The first thing is that you need to guard your heart. So the first thing you need to do on the path to righteousness is guard your heart. And in fact, This is the first point, and it also says in the passage, above all other things, guard your heart. It's the most important thing we can be doing. Verse 23, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And so we already mentioned that your heart is often the thing that determines how you spend your time, the things you put effort into. And so if we're spending our time and we're putting effort into things that are just breeding negativity, it's going to breed negativity out of us. And so when Solomon says, is saying, guard your heart, what he really means here with the word heart is more than a mental or emotional capacity, but it also encompasses your values. What are your values? What brings value to you? What do you see as important? Matthew six twenty one. it says, for where your treasure is, There, your heart will be also. Jesus made it clear that having the wrong treasures leads to our hearts being in the wrong place. And what we treasure most controls us, whether we admit it or not. It might be possessions or money that become too important to you. But whatever it is, you must reestablish control and get rid of those items. We need to become guards of our hearts. We need to guard our heart from becoming too focused on the earthly things and shift our focus back onto those things that are eternal. And so whatever the heart loves, the ears and the eyes will also see. If you have children that are small or once were small, you would know this, that no matter what, they're always listening. And they're sponges, and they pick up things that you don't expect them to be picking up. And if you have a kid, I'm sure when you're driving, they have no idea where they're going or what they're doing. You know, they're just kind of in the car, and you think they're back. there, kind of in their own world. But all of a sudden, they know exactly where that ice cream place is that you got ice cream two weeks ago. And they know when they're getting close. Or they know when the toy store is getting close. And all of a sudden, they remember. They soak those things up. And so whenever, no matter what, they're listening, they're soaking things up. And so what is it that you're spending your time looking at or listening to? What are the things that you're filling up your life with? And maybe you don't realize it, but those things are affecting your heart. I know for me there's certain shows that I start watching and I really like them, but they're dark and I just start to feel darker and heavier in my own life and I go, I can't watch that anymore. It's just too—it's too heavy, and I can't—I can't have that. Or there's music that I, that I listen to, and sometimes you listen to a sad song, and all of a sudden you're like, "Why am I crying right now?" Right? Because those things affect us. They—they—they they, they affect our emotions. And if it's all we're listening to is sad songs, day after day after day, you're gonna be sad. And so the things that we listen to, the things that we see affect our life and so are there things that you're looking at or listening to that are affecting you in a way neg- that's negative negative? and if you desire to live a life that's modeled after Christ a life of righteousness Solomon's saying here are you guarding your heart because above all else you should guard your heart so the second point that he gives us is guard your tongue in verse 24 Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Does anyone know the, I'm sure you all do, the, the saying from the playground, sticks and stones may hurt my bones, but words can never hurt me. One of the biggest lies ever told in the playground. It's one of the biggest lies we tell ourselves when people say things negatively towards us is that words can't hurt. But there are many people out there that make very good money that would tell you that words really hurt, and they spend a lot of time talking to those people, trying to help them and heal them. People who've had a lifetime of pain from words negatively pointed in their direction. Words hurt a lot, and words, the sting from words can last a lot longer than the sting from a punch. In college, we we did some preaching classes. I know, surprise, I was taught how to do this. Um, We did preaching classes, and in these preaching classes, near the end of the year, you kind of take all the things you've learned, and then it's time to put it into practice. And we had in one class particular, we had to do three sermons that were 10 minutes each, which Pastor Jetty also had to do a 10-minute sermon, believe it or not. I witnessed it. I was in that class. And so we had to do these 10 minute sermons, and then when you finished the sermon, you had to stand up, walk outside, and against all temptations, do not put your ear against the door. Well, for the next few minutes, the class picked apart your sermon piece by piece. They would say, Here was what was negative, here's what was negative. Then they would also give every positive. And what our professor would do is he would erase all of the negative things but one. He would say, I want you to pick one thing that's the most important thing for them to improve upon. And pick that one thing, and then we'll give them that advice. But we're going to have at least ten good things they did. And so you would go in the hall, they would talk, and I would be in there for some of the sessions too, so I knew how brutal people would be because it's, it's school, right? We're trying to learn, we're trying to be better. So they would go through, pick it apart, and then you'd go back in, and immediately you'd look at the board and you'd see all these amazing oh he was such a good speaker very funny very and my eyes would immediately go to the one and i would just see that one negative because that's all i cared about because words have power they have value and for whatever reason our human brains are drawn to the negative and we just let if we if we're not careful we allow that to just take up too much space in our life and it starts to affect our emotions And so I would walk in, and I would see that list, and I would immediately see the negative. And luckily, I didn't care that much. So, you know, I would get over it. I wasn't losing sleep. But I would see all those positives and immediately just see the negative. And now, obviously, it's education. We're trying to improve each other. Later on, whenever you get the sermon back, that's the real scary part because he shows you every negative. So then you have to look at all your negatives. But in that setting, it was education. We're trying to help each other improve. And so we didn't spend much time dwelling on it. And the reality is it did help. It helped uh, help me be better. And there's things that I still use from those lessons and feedback. And so for that, you know, it's one thing. But But there is something to be said about that. Because how often are we in conversations with close friends or family members, and they say an offhand comment, and it's kind of a, they they say it in a joking manner, or maybe you're this person at the party. You say a joke, and all of a sudden it's a bit negative, and the mood shifts, and you go, oh, "What? Why? What's the big deal? It's just a joke. I didn't really mean it, right? You've said the I'm sure you've said that before. I didn't really mean it." But the reality is. that there has to be something else about this, because whatever's in your heart will ultimately come out of your mouth. And so if you're that person where you kind of get yourself in trouble and you say things sometimes and they're a bit negative and you wonder why people can't take a joke, maybe look to your own heart. Where's that actually coming from? Why do you feel the need to put people down even if it's humorous? Because like I said, whatever's in the heart will ultimately come out of the mouth. And if your heart is breeding negativity, it's going to come out of your mouth. And so, maybe it's just going to God and asking for his Holy Spirit to reveal to you. Is that something that I'm struggling with? Is that something I need help with? In Matthew 12, it says in verse 33, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. This is very simple instructions. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So if you didn't believe me, it's right there in Scripture. And this is actually Jesus speaking in Matthew. And he's reminding us that what we say reveals what is in our hearts. So what kind of words come from your mouth? Because the reality is it's an indication of what your heart is really like. And you can't solve your heart problem by just cleaning up your speech, right? Just by stopping, you know, only saying it in your mind and not letting that come out of your mouth. So you can't just clean up your speech, but you have to allow the Holy Spirit to fill you with new attitudes, new motives. And then your speech will be cleaned at the source. In the book of Proverbs, the mouth, the word mouth is used over 50 times and the word lips over 40 times, among other things. So Solomon warns us about perverse lips in Proverbs 4.24, lying lips in 12.22, flattering lips in 20.19, deceptive lips in 24.28, and undisciplined lips in 10.19. In Proverbs 13.3, he said, He who guards his lips guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. So guard your lips, you're guarding your life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. Are you speaking rashly? So guard your tongue. And then the third point is guard your focus. In verse 25, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. We all know that we live in a world now, we live in a time where our direction is being pulled in a million different ways every day. We're constantly having things come up that could distract us, pull our focus, pull our attention. The average attention span of people is getting lower and lower. You're seeing people that used to be able to just have conversations now are just staring at phones. They're staring at screens, TVs, iPads, whatever it is. It used to be that you had a few channels on TV, one or two movies in the theater, and you just kind of watched what was there. There wasn't 50 late-night shows. There was a late-night show. There wasn't 50 news channels. There was the news. Everybody watched the same thing. They were listening to the same radio stations. And you just kind of were OK with it. Now we have a million TV shows, all these movies. You know, that you go to the city, and there's like these 24 me- theater plexes with all these movies in there to watch. And you have all these choices and all this stuff that could take up your time and every time i talk to somebody they're, requ- they're they're telling me about a new show you have to watch which by the way that f1 show you really should watch it's great i am a hypocrite but we are just given so many options so many things that just can pull our focus and so many things that you know you got to watch this you got to see this and there's so much that if I took the advice of everybody and watched every show that was suggested to me, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have a job. My life would be sitting at home just watching, watching, watching. It would be all I do with my days. But what is that really, what is all that stuff really bringing to my life? What, what is that doing to my focus? How is that me living out my purpose in life? How's that me giving back to society? How am I helping people by doing that? Those are just distractions. Your outlook determines the outcome. Your outlook determines the outcome. There are two examples of men in the Bible. One whose focus remained on God, and the other whose focus was taken by the things of this world. And the first is Abraham, who was the friend of God because he walked by faith. In Hebrews 11, it says, or 11 verse 10, it says, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He was focused on the path that God had set before him. Abraham, at this time, he was on this journey with God and God was preparing him to start the nation of Israel and, and start his, his family in a new location, and he took him to a new land. And he was traveling with someone named Lot. And Lot became a friend of the world because he walked by sight, and he moved toward the wicked city of Sodom. So in Genesis 13.10, it says Lot looked around, and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zor was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east. The two men parted company. So here they split. One following God's call on his life and going where God was leading him. And the other looking around and going, well, that place looks more... Fruitful. That place looks better, and it reminds me more of God, and kind of looks like God, so I'm going to go there. And so here they split, and Abraham was blessed by God. The nation of Israel was founded through his family. and Then Lot went towards the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, which if you know your Bible, that does not end well. If you don't know your Bible, it doesn't end well. And so he goes to these cities that were filled with sinful people, and his focus got shifted away from God. And in the end, he paid the price for it. And so everybody has some vision before them that helps to determine their values, their actions, their plans. And we would all be wise to imitate David who said, I set no wicked thing before mine eyes, Psalm 101.3. And the writer of Psalm 119 who prayed, turn my eyes away from worthless things. If you are looking unto Jesus as you walk the path of life, then keep that posture of faith. And if you look back or around, you may go on a detour. And so set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Keep your focus on him. Wisdom leads us to righteousness. So in order to have this righteousness in our lives, we need to guard our hearts, guard our tongues, and guard our focus. And if we can properly guard those things, then we won't stray from the path that God has laid before us in each of our lives. He's given us a direction. He's given us a path. We each have a purpose. God has a plan and a purpose for each and every one of us. So we need to guard our hearts, our tongues, and our focus so that we don't stray from that path. But above all, guard your heart because everything comes from it. Everything flows from it. And So life is too short and it's too precious to be wasted on the temporary and the trivial. And if we're walking in the way of wisdom, God promises to protect our path, to direct our path and to perfect our path. And all that foolishness can offer us is danger. All that the world, the things of this world, the things that catch your eye, the temptations that you see, they just offer danger, detours, disappointments, and ultimately they lead to death. And so the reality is it shouldn't be too difficult to make the right choice. Choose the way of wisdom. Choose the path to righteousness. The way of wisdom is the path that's leading us to a life of righteousness. I'll let the worship team up and they're going to lead us in a song here in a moment. And as they get ready, let's just take a moment and let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this morning and God, I thank you for this opportunity to gather together and hear from your word and hear from the book of Proverbs, God. and Lord, I just pray that uh, you would be with each and every person here this morning, God. That you would be just working on their hearts, Lord. That if there's anything that is distracting them from their purpose or their path, God, anything that's taking their focus, God, that you would reveal that to them this morning through your Holy Spirit. God, if there's someone here who is not guarding their tongue, they're saying things that are breeding negativity or bringing people down, Lord, I just pray that you would reveal that to them. And God, I also just pray for anyone this morning who's allowing their heart, the things that they love, to be things that uh, draw them away from you. God, you would just reveal that to them. Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to each and every one of us this morning and identify the areas in our lives that we maybe are struggling with, God. Lord, I just thank you so much for your son, Jesus. I thank you for the sacrifice He made for each and every one of us. And I just thank you for your word and the wisdom that we can glean from it. And I pray all these things in your name. Amen.